1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Business of Design. I'm Kimberly Seldon. I am an interior design professional, and I do not ride motorcycles. And that may seem like a strange thing to say until I tell you that today's guest expert is someone who builds motorcycles for a living. He builds them by hand, and he's an artist, and he's a craftsman, and he's got a wonderful book called A Craftsman's Legacy by Eric Gorgeous and a television show on PBS by the same name. And I so appreciated hearing him describe the inherent value in loving an object that a human being has made with their own hands. And it got me thinking about how often I will make a choice on behalf of clients that is an easier choice rather than search and dig a little deeper to find something that might be a very special, more artistic, or more artisan choice. So certainly, I've had to do some soul searching after my conversation with Eric. In the episode, we're going to touch on a number of themes, including perfectionism and how that's an illusion, letting go of inhibitions by really tapping into what it feels like, to be a kid again when there weren't so many rules and so many boundaries and so many opportunities to second-guess ourselves. And we're also going to touch on um, Eric's story of origin. It got me thinking about my own story of origin, and I wonder if you've ever given thought to yours. So mine is really simple. I grew up in a very modest home, very modest means. Neither of my parents cared a bit for how the house looked or felt or was kept up or how clean it was or any of those things. And so as a young child, even before I could say the words, I had a yearning and a longing for an environment that was more orderly, that was presentable to friends who might drop in, that felt safe and not chaotic And if I had to think about my origin story, I would have to say it starts before I could even articulate what I wanted to be when I grew up. It starts way back as a young child when I wanted more safety and comfort from my little world, the little world of my home. Maybe it's time you reconnect with your own origin story and see how that authentic desire benefits your clients. Give some thought to why you do this work. My story, for instance, reminds me that the work I do is far from superficial. My hope for each of my projects and my clients is to create the kind of home I longed for as a child, one that is organized and therefore everyone knows where to find the things they need. One that's comfortable and easy to maintain, because even if cleaning is important to you, you probably don't want to spend more time doing it than necessary. And a home where everyone feels heard and loved. That's a pretty lofty goal for a design professional, right? What we do matters a lot to the people we do it for. It's good, I think, to think back on how long you may have been dreaming about doing this kind of service and this kind of satisfying work. Something else Eric got me to really think about is how quickly I tend to move through the process of at least the creative part of the design. I can be guilty of very quickly making decisions on behalf of my clients. Of course, it's not done with any malintention. It's simply that I have other jobs I need to get on to. But the process of slowing down, thinking through things, considering things in a quiet state, in a meditative state, moving away from the chaos of making decisions quickly can allow me to see things with new eyes. It could allow me to explore thoughts I hadn't explored before, and it might turn things in a direction I wasn't anticipating, which ultimately could be a direction that is very satisfying to my clients. So once again, the universe is telling me to slow down and enjoy the ride. The only way to hear the still small voice is to slow down. Of course, that's easier said than done, like most worthy goals. Episode 116, Slow Down and Enjoy the Ride with Eric Gorgeous. Eric is a master craftsman who shares his experience of the process the journey, and the joy. Let me tell you about Eric Gorgeous, and then we'll launch right into the conversation he and I had. Eric has been the host of Public Television's A Craftsman's Legacy since it began in 2014. Before that, he worked in the corporate world until a health crisis caused him to reconsider his goals in his life. He sought out one of the best metal shapers In the country and signed on as an apprentice, knowing he was already comfortable working with his hands. In 1999, he struck out on his own and opened the custom motorcycle shop Voodoo Choppers in Detroit, Michigan, where he lives today. It's safe to say that Eric is kind of the coolest person I've ever talked to. Perhaps that's why I failed to ask him for his design intervention when we did the interview, But what he sent me via email is just too good to ignore. So here is Eric's design intervention up front, not at the end of the story as usual, but up front so you can think about it as you hear his conversation. Eric says, don't let anyone else hold your star. Make things happen for you. I think you're going to like this conversation with Eric. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn. Hey, Cheryl, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We have so many exciting things coming up.
0: I know. I know. We're getting closer and closer. It feels like the retreat will be here before we know it. It Um, We're right into planning for that, but we only have a couple spots left. Um, After that, we will start a wait list, but we do only have a couple spots left to fill. So that's coming up October 24th to 27th, $2,800. Get in touch with me if you've got any questions, but uh, we're looking to fill those last couple of spots.
1: We are. And, uh, of course we're going to be best friends at the end of the retreat because we tend to get very vulnerable with one another and, uh, Move the needle in our businesses. So, there is going to be some pretty heavy learning that's important to all of us, I think. And there will be lots of opportunity for bonding. There will be time for coaching one on one and in a group. And home tours. That sometimes is my favorite part where we just get to go into some incredible homes and learn about a different approach to design and decorating. And of course, California has such a varied landscape. I have been touring a few of the potential homes we're going to go see, and uh, they are so different from one another in terms of style. But equally interesting and fascinating places so it's uh it's really going to be a lot of fun hope you'll join us you'll be hanging out with cheryl and myself and janine who's our programming specialist and kathy who is an interior designer senior designer with me so uh, it's a good well-rounded group do come out for that
0: and then we have a new event that um, we're just starting to get questions about. We've uh, It's live on the site. We're doing a Business of Design conference it's in time. January, January 25th and 26th at Las Vegas Market.
1: All right. Our last conference was uh, 2015, January 2015 yeah. in Toronto. And we decided it might be nice to be somewhere where it wasn't quite so cold. And uh, if you've never been to Vegas Market or have not been to any market, it's a it's a double opportunity because you'll have an opportunity to do some deep dive learning with Business of Design. And you know, I promise, we guarantee there will not be theory. We will not waste your time. This will not be one of those conferences you pay money for and you come away and go, well, it was great to connect with other designers. Yes, it will be great to connect with other designers, but we also want you to learn things that will make your business stronger, better, more profitable in the year ahead. And that is our commitment and guarantee to you. And I said it was a double opportunity because if you haven't been to market or you don't know how to use market effectively, we can definitely steer you in the right direction and you will have access to Las Vegas market as well. So we'll help you figure out how to get yourself registered and what to do and all that kind Kind of stuff as well. So we're looking forward to our first conference since 2015, and that was a very successful big event. So uh, make us proud, everybody, and sign up. What's the cost, Cheryl? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so we've just opened our early bird rate of $1,195. Um, and again, it's January 25th to 26th. And it's a Saturday, Sunday in January 2020.
1: That's right. And when we compare it to other events that people are charging two and $3,000 for, it kind of makes me crazy because the value we are providing is so much greater. I'm using the word guarantee again because we will guarantee that you'll have value there compared to other things. So do consider this very small investment in your future and your health and your well-being and your sanity and come and be part of Business of Design. You will never find a group of designers more incredible than the ones you're going to find when you get to Vegas in January. So looking forward to 2020.
0: Yeah, and details are up on the site. So head to businessofdesign.com. Registration is open and details are available.
1: Okay, and we will be dropping some of the exciting things we're doing at the conference uh, on the podcast each week. So look forward to that. Cheryl, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.
2: Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Seldon. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, B.O.D. is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too.
1: Is uh, Auburn Hills, Michigan as beautiful as it sounds?
3: Yeah, it's real pretty. Yeah, it's real nice. It's a nice area. I've got a a, a little acre of land and, uh, you know, large marsh field out past the property. Just hang out and watch all the ducks and birds, you know, all the frogs and stuff at night. It's really loud at night, actually. They're super loud.
1: All the peepers making noise.
3: Yeah, it's really cool, actually. It's awesome. I I enjoy it every day.
1: I love it. I love it. It it sounds right, given what I now know about you having read A Craftsman Legacy. It sounds right that you would have a property like that. Everybody, this is Eric Gorgeous, and I've just finished reading his book, A Craftsman's Legacy, and I was so moved to reach out and speak to you because of your connection to and love of authentic materials and using your hands to make things beautiful and meaningful that people will enjoy for years to come. So thank you so much for taking time to be on the show.
3: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: I uh, was explaining to my husband that I had this guy, Eric Gorgeous, he's going to be on the show. He makes motorcycles. He's like, wait, what? What? It's you do realize your shows for interior designers, right? Like, where's the connection here? And I think for me, the connection came about, I heard you described, first of all, by Bruce Philp, who has a fabulous podcast called This Motorcycle Life. Uh, I'm not yeah. a cyclist at all but Bruce was describing the love and care and passion you put into everything you make and I thought that sounds exactly like the love and care and passion we put into every job we make so I'm sure there's some connection here if we just dig a little bit
3: yeah I, I would agree to you. you know on the surface you know connections aren't um, always apparent you know like because if we look at things from a you know, if we look at life on this constant literal basis and, and you know, from a, you know, arm's length away, we're missing a lot, you know what I mean? But the book itself is really about, yeah, it's stories of craftsmanship and it's stories of, you know, working with your hands and and the ideas behind that. But in a more connective way the passion behind it right the care behind it the thought process involved with it and the ability to slow down and look at what you're doing and concentrate on what you're doing and enjoy the journey right mm-hmm. not be so hyper focused on the end result always but to really enjoy the journey and the learning process and i think those types of attributes you know, apply very well to, you know, interior designing or, or, you know, all kinds of different walks of life, to be honest with you, you know, plus interior designing, there's so much creativity involved there, right? And this, you know, balance of material and life and being, I, I think that's a pretty interesting and wonderful thing to do for a living, you know.
1: And maybe that's it right there, you know, that that just slow down and take a moment and appreciate what you have in your hands, what you are considering placing in someone's home to really look at it and pay attention to it and feel it and touch it and think maybe about how it's made and then be able to educate your clients about the beauty of that project in a way that I think So often for myself, I feel like I'm moving so fast. I sometimes forget to do that simple thing. And you're so right about the creativity piece of the puzzle. That's what gives me energy and passion. And if I'm moving so fast, I'm going to miss out on all that. I want to ask you about something you mentioned at the end of the book, which has to do with an origin story. And I realized when I read that, that uh, I have an origin story that got me into design, and maybe everybody has an origin story that gets you into your profession, but tell everybody what your origin story is.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess, which origin story, are you referring to getting into working with my hands and building the motorcycle business, or the origin story of, Starting the television show, or you mentioned the end of the book, which made me think about the very end of the book is about the crosses that I got into carving. So that's why I'm a little.
1: Well, in my uh, mind, it's funny that you say that. Because, right now. Yeah, in my mind, I think of origin as being the moment where you were going to take a new path. It's the epic journey. As opposed to, yeah. So what comes to mind then?
3: So, you know, that would probably be the change in life of, you know, deciding that I wanted to create and make things with my hands um, and not continue my path in, in I.T., it wasn't a difficult decision like I loved what I did in IT. I really enjoyed it. It was very challenging. There was a tremendous amount of growth involved with it and it was always changing, you know. It wasn't an IT position where I was always dealing with the same issues. It was, you know, there was different companies always involved and and it was ever changing and I really enjoyed that. But the idea of being able to work with my hands for a living. um, I needed that at that time in my life because I was pretty ill and that ability to lose track of time and lose my surroundings and focus on my work in this, you know, very, I don't know, like, Hyper state, almost, you know, um, is what I needed because that's sort of what what helped me get through to the other side of things. You know, that was a, a, a major change in my life. You know, it, it went from suits and ties to you know jeans and t-shirts, and I didn't wear a watch for years because I really didn't even want to think about time in that sense, literally.
1: When did you know, like, well, I am never putting that suit back on again?
3: You know, I grew up in an environment where, you know, we worked with our hands. And, and I, my granddad was a cabinet maker. My dad was a a very uh, accomplished woodworker himself. So I grew up with a respect for making things and working with our hands and and not being afraid to try something new or to learn through mistakes. That's what I found myself doing uh, as a hobby was, you know, working on motorcycles or, you know, fixing this or fixing that type of thing. And when I decided I was going to do it for a living, I I already knew that sense of relaxation that I got from working with my hands and the, the pride that I got from that. Um, And the ability to, you know, like I said, you know, sort of lose your sense of time or, you know, find yourself in that zone. Um, I knew that that was out there for me. I just had to find a way to sustain that time in that, you know, mindset. You know what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm. There's a moment in the book where you describe watching television with your brother. And I think you said you were watching Chips. Um, or yeah. Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. one of, maybe you mentioned both of those. And anyway, your dad suddenly decides to rip yeah. up the carpet and he discovers there's parquet under the carpet. I thought for sure when I asked you what your origin story is, you were going to say that th- that was part of it, that that was a moment where you're like, man, this is amazing what you can do. Cause at the end you realized your father was right, that it was worth the effort to get that carpeting out of there and repair and polish that parquet floor that was underneath.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, 100% but the, see the thing was and you know, I've been traveling a lot on the book tour and 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 giving discussions and stuff like that and you know, that's one of the things I really share with people is that you know, I grew up in that time frame and kids were raised a little bit differently than they are today. You know, like things were handled differently back then and at the time I was young. You know, I was really young. I didn't I just thought my dad was a pain in the butt. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, oh, another project. You know what I mean? It wasn't until I was an adult looking back at it that I really realized all of the different things that I learned and all of the different skills. Not only hand skills, but just the the mindset and and the respect for craftsmanship and, you know, all of those different things that that I was exposed to at a very young age for my entire life, you know, but it, like I said, the dots didn't all line up for me until, until I was older. I was an adult, you know, and then I look back at it and I was like, oh, man, you know, look at all that.
1: So, was there a moment where you, when you decided to make this transition from suits and ties to making motorcycles and then opening eventually Voodoo Choppers? Was there any period of time where your friends said, Have you lost it completely? Like, do you know what you're doing? What if people don't want to pay for you to be in the zone and making a motorcycle
3: all day long? Yeah, sure. Everybody said that. Most people said that that knew me because I, you know, I was. I was really pretty sick, and and uh, I had a, a, a you know pretty severe disorder, panic disorder, and and had gotten to a point of or a state of agoraphobia. Uh, so, you know, I had a lot of hurdles to get through in life alone without trying to start a business. Um, right, you know. At the time, I, you know, I, I had a difficult time talking with people or being around people. And so, yeah, there was a lot of concern there because you know, I worked for Xerox Corporation and I'd been there for a number of years already because I started there very young. You know, I, I was in a, in a good spot. I, I could have easily stayed there for the rest of my life, you know.
1: So fearlessness was not a characteristic that you would say that you had so you actually you had fear you had concerns what would you say to anybody listening who has those same fears and concerns how do you know when it's okay to go down a path that maybe other people are telling you isn't the perfect
3: route well you know fear is a a, a good thing you know what i mean like being fearless about something doesn't necessarily mean that that's a, a good sign. That, that can also be a sign of ignorance, right? You know, like you should be afraid of what you're doing and making the right decisions. But there's also a difference between fear and being paralyzed. You know, you can't be so afraid of something that you're paralyzed in the ability to make a decision sometimes you need to just make a decision, right, wrong, indifferent. You just got to go with your gut, you know, and you make the best decision you can at the time and you move forward, see how things transpire, you know? Yeah, it's very easy to become paralyzed in fear because it happens to everybody, you know? I mean, it's happened to me before. It happens to everybody, you know? And you, you get so worked up and so concerned about every little thing that you just can't make a decision one way or the other. And that doesn't really help in anything. It doesn't progress you forward. And it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It just, you know, stalls.
1: That's a perfect word for the guy who makes motorcycles, stalls. <laughs> we
3: relate
2: to yeah, that as yeah. well.
1: <laughs> I want to ask you about um, the quest for perfection, because that, that's a theme in the book that, you know, this you know, you strive for perfection, but you're not going to get there. Our clients frequently want us to provide them with perfection. And in most cases, in almost all cases, in fact, we're not making the object or objects that we are placing in their home. Um, And therefore, a lot of that's out of our control. But how do we talk to clients about this need for what they think is going to be perfection and why that maybe isn't what we should strive for.
3: That's a very difficult role to be in, right? You're, you're, you're a designer, an interior designer. You're creating living space for people, something that appeals to them on different levels, right? It has to appeal to them in a physical level. They have to be comfortable in the furniture that you choose for them, but they also it also has to be comfortable for them Mentally and, you know, attractive mm-hmm. to them and peaceful and, you know, all these different attributes that fall into that realm of living space, right? Because that's a private space. The idea of perfection is is, is an illusion, you know, as a craftsman or, or anybody that really works with their hands, the idea of trying to obtain perfection is is really a foolish game almost because you can't ever really reach it with your hands, hand tools, without using some computer-aided equipment, you know, or you're using something else that's handling those calculations for you. You're just using your hands and your abilities to to the best you can. What I enjoy about that chase is that it, it makes you better, right? Right. I realize I'm a fool. I'm never going to obtain it, but it constantly pushes me to be better, to do a better job today than I did yesterday.
1: Right. I get that. So, but then wouldn't the imperfections be the thing that makes the object lovely and desirable at the end of the day? Because I can, I can sell my clients a linoleum floor that's been extruded from a machine and it might be quote right. unquote perfect. But I don't think that's nearly as beautiful as selling them a handmade tile that's not perfect. And then I can describe who made the tile and how the tile was made and who gets impacted by making that tile, how the town stays alive. People have livelihoods built around that
3: tile, right? Absolutely. I I think the beauty is always in the imperfection, you know, like the imperfection itself is the soul of the piece, the soul of the work. And you could say it's, you know, the the soul of the craftsman, the maker in that piece.
1: So it's worthwhile maybe for us to educate ourselves about why a handmade object has value beyond an object that might be... Um, perfect for lack of a better word because that's really not a good word because that mass produced that mass produced object is not perfect um by any stretch oh, in the imagination
3: yeah i mean like you know if you think about going to a store and say you want some cooking utensils so you go to the local store where they sell cooking utensils and you know you pick up some wooden spoons and spatulas and things like that and You know, there's a selection of a thousand of these spoons that are all identical, all look the same. There's no variation in them whatsoever because they're all machine-made, and they're boring as hell, you know. and But for a price that is very comparable to that, you can get one that's handmade and is unique and has a life to it of itself, you know, and, you know. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can really enjoy handmade objects and, and really appreciate it more, you know, um, and enjoy using it more, you know.
1: It's such a good point, too, that it's often a comparable price. That's what's really shocking, I think. You find this person who has a a studio where he makes chairs that are, you know, indescribably wonderful. And they may be $100 or $200 more than one that you can buy at a big box store. But it's a thing of beauty. And it's a work of art. And I think going back to one of your earlier points about slowing down, if I'm not slowing down, I'm not going to take time to appreciate it and therefore describe it to my clients in such a way that they'll understand why it's valuable and important.
3: Absolutely, and to take it a step further, oftentimes people look at handmade objects as something that's not always within their budget, right? So, um, because they'll look at, say, a, a a bowl that's that's made by a ceramist or a plate or a charger that's made by a ceramist, and say that item is five hundred dollars, whatever it is, but which is you know a lot of money for an item like that. But oftentimes we're looking at an artist or a craftsman whose skill set really demands that kind of price because, you know, they're putting 30 years of experience and talent into that piece, right? So that may not be within your budget, but finding a ceramist who is maybe much earlier in his career, you know, where maybe he's still learning and they're, You know, the inclusion of imperfection is is much higher, um, but you get what you want. You get something that you absolutely love, and you're helping this person, you know, succeed at their goal and and contribute to their skill set and growth. It's a win-win for everybody, you know. It's very easy to find people that are within your budget. You just have to dig a little bit.
1: You describe what I would refer to as the Starbucks customer when you described all of those spoons. The customer who wants uh, the same thing as the neighbor has and wants no surprises and, um, you know will settle for the exact same scheme as the person next door has because they understand it, it's tried and true, it's familiar. And I guess it's the difference between the person who goes to Starbucks and the person who seeks out the one-of coffee barista roaster in their neighborhood that's kind of groovy and a little funky and the floors are sort of crooked, right? Yeah,
3: for sure, you know, and you're you're looking for... Especially in your line of work again, you know, like there are so many people out there just doing amazing, amazing work and the prices are incredibly affordable. I see it all the time, all the time.
1: Mm, you're, you're making me think about this a little bit for myself. I'm going to make more of a commitment to finding those local artisans and craftspeople. Um, That I can keep employed. I think that's a really smart thing to do. And I think, you know, if you tell the story to clients, if we slow down long enough to tell clients the story, they'll come on board as well. And it's not a bad idea to get them out to visit an an artist's gallery or to see a craftsman making a chair. And by the way, like, I'm just absolutely dying to go see what um, Dave. Sawyer and Curtis Buchanan do. They make the Windsor chairs and I've been to Monticello and I'm just like, really, that seems to me one of the hardest, most beautiful chairs in the world to make. I can't imagine what it takes to actually physically make one of those chairs.
3: It's a tremendous amount of work and it's really amazing to watch, to watch it happen, to to watch all of these Different pieces come together, and all of the math that's involved—it's it, math, but it's not handled on on a level of equation, right? It's it's handled differently, and which is very intriguing, right? There's like all this trig happening in front of you, but it's not—it's not the way you would expect it to happen, you know. Um, I don't know if I make sense or not, but. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, for sure. I wonder if at the end of making a chair, if they turn around and say, wow, that's a beautiful chair. I've, I've made something spectacular. Because I so often find that five minutes after I complete something, I'm looking for the errors and what I would do differently next time and rarely take a moment to just go, you know what, that's a that's a beautiful thing that happened right there. Do you do that when you let go of one of your motorcycles? Do you do you give it a respectful send off?
3: No, no. Usually, um, when I'm done building something, I've you know I'm familiar with the errors and I'm familiar with the areas of of um, opportunity for growth. You know, is sort of what I look at it as, and um, and I'm fine with it. You know, I just try to, I try to make sure that I'm always learning. You know, and and minimize making that the same mistake over and over again. And sometimes it takes me a while. You know what I mean? Like I've been getting back into woodworking myself lately, and and you know, some of the mistakes I've been making over the last couple months have just been, um, you know, sometimes the same mistake I've made three or four times because I, I just haven't gotten that into my head yet to, to be mindful of it, you know. So sometimes I, I need to remind myself to slow down more and take my time more.
1: I I love or I appreciate that you say um, it's an opportunity for growth. It reminds me of a girlfriend who says AFGO, AFCO, another freaking growth opportunity. (laughs) There's another one.
3: (laughs) Or sometimes I'm making something and something completely different comes about, right? Like I'm headed down one path, but, you know, something happened. I looked at something different. I saw something different and that just opened up a whole new world to me, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I remember this project I was working on very recently where I was in communication with the client and I, I had sent some photos over to him to show him something that we had, were working on. And in that photo, there was an object in the background, but the way the photo was taken was taking the that secondary object it placed this line you know on on what I was taking a photo of so it like overlapped in a way this body line and I saw something totally different and I was like oh man this is incredible look at that that you know and it, it sent me down a different path and and I was very happy for it and so was a client, you know. He didn't see it initially. I, I like pointed out to him, and I said, "Hey, what do, what do you think about this? Look at this. Look what I see here." You know, at the end of the day, it was like my my head was nowhere near that. It just appeared. You know, it was it was really cool.
1: But there it is. That distinguishes us from machines, right? We can have those moments yeah. where and I do that all the time. I go into a, a fabric showroom and I think I'm gonna come out with, you know, the following three colors and, you know, patterns and I come out with something totally different. I'm able to adjust and pivot and go down a totally different different path. So there's the artistry, I guess, right? That we're we follow where the trail leads.
3: You you gotta be willing to to change and move, and you know, but sometimes you gotta train your eye to see that too, you know?
1: Yeah. So, any tips on it's so interesting because the first thing I said to you is, is it as beautiful in Auburn Hills as it sounds? And you described an acreage, a marsh, and particular animals. And I thought, this is a guy who actually sees his surroundings. Like, you know, a lot of people don't see their surroundings at all. So what what tips or tricks or ideas do you have f- to help people just be more present and see more?
3: I don't know. Sometimes you can't see with your eyes, you know. Sometimes you have to use your ears and your mind, your imagination, you know, and your hands.
1: I think as a child, I loved all colors. And then as I aged and matured, I became more constrictive with what colors I liked and what colors I allowed myself to like. And do you know what I mean? I think I think sometimes that's just such a beautiful thing to go back and think about being that kid who uses all the crayons
3: in the box again. Hell yeah. I mean, as kids, you don't have any unnecessary boundaries in your mind that you've put there, right? You're not worried about your peers. You're not worried about the fact that this color doesn't necessarily balance well with this color, or you know, these two glitters don't work together, or they're different sizes, or whatever you know, BS we've decided is important to us today. You know, as a kid, you use what's available to you to make it, but as adults, we've lost touch with that oftentimes. We lose that value in life because. We, we, we have a disconnect with it You know, we allow it to be buried Because of all these this other You know, crap in front of us That we think is important, you know Like I live personally in an old farmhouse This is a house Built in 1928 I don't think there's Any doors here that match <laughs> Because The house has been added on to And moved so many times, you know Like the house yeah. was physically moved to a different plot And And you know, you know, there's different doors here and different doors there, and, you know, things have been reconstituted, and, and I really like it, you know, like, that's one of the things I noticed about the house when I got here, I was like, that's super cool, all these doors are different, these are all hardwood doors, they're all old doors, and each one has a different story, you know, and some of them have these, like, super old knobs on them, and some of them don't, some of the locks are upside down, you know. When you turn it to, to where it should be opening, it's actually closing, you know. <laughs> and answers to why that is, but I enjoy it for the way it is. You know what I mean? Nor do I care why it's like that. And I'm not going to fix it, make it what I think is right. It would be a
1: pity to come in there and replace all of those beautiful hardwood doors with perfectly matched you know, hollow core, uh, paper thin <laughs> doors from the depot. So glad you hear you're not going to yeah, do that. No. Well, I, I found it a joy to read a craftsman's legacy, and I, I loved the story of the couple who opened the chocolate shop. And she was, she was making yeah. chocolate the first time, and she's covered in chocolate, and she just stands up and says out of apropos of nothing chocolate will make me happy and I thought, good for you yay so thank you for taking yeah. time to share with us all of those artists and the TV show Craftsman's Legacy how many seasons have you done four on PBS four seasons on PBS I'm going to check those out I'm I am just really a big fan of what you are espousing and thank you so much for sharing it with us
3: thank you for having me. Have a wonderful
2: day. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.